Um, we continue with, um, this morning with a little bit of a different pattern in how we've been doing chapel. We continue on in the series of Psalms, but this morning we get to invite a couple of very special guests who are here on campus um, from Holland, Michigan, um, and in the area this week. So this is Doctors Johnson will be introducing or be taking turns on this. Uh, Trig Johnson is the Dean of Chapel at Hope College and an adjunct professor at Western Theological Seminary where he teaches in homiletics and has been reflecting for a very long time on the art and the craft of preaching. Um, and his wife, Kristen D. Johnson, who is the Associate Professor of Theology and Spiritual Formation um, at Western Theological Seminary, and who also just released this book, um, The Justice Calling, Where Passion Meets Perseverance. And collective they, collectively, they'll be reflecting this morning on Psalm 103. Will you please help me give a warm welcome to Dr. Trigg and Kristen Johnson. Peace of the Lord be with you. Let's pray. Guide us, O Lord, by your word and your spirit, that in your light we would see light, and your truth find freedom, and in your will discover a perfect peace, a perfect peace that transcends understanding. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all of people said, Amen. Kristen and I would like to thank you for the invitation to be here and the privilege um, to share with you this morning some thoughts that we have about our lives and the work that we mutually share. We're honored to be here because we believe this is a special place and the work and the witness that happens here is unique. I, we just clap for you guys. I don't know how rare it is for have a biblical scholar and uh, a math mathematician, <laughs> chemistry, and English major, dean of students, rocking it. <laughs> I mean, in all the, in all the kingdom, in all the land, um, that's a really beautiful thing that suggests to us that the learning here isn't fragmented, but comes together in worship in a really unique way. What happens here, what's going on here with your faculty, your curriculum, the people who walk alongside you, it's... It's life transforming. And I say that with confidence because when I was your age, I had a very similar experience at a college a lot like this. I came into college, maybe a lot like you, with a very sincere faith. But it was also a small faith. It had small concerns. I was preoccupied with myself. And I needed help. I was riding the tricycle around the cul-de-sac of my own experience. And the problem when you do that is that you can never get outside to see a larger world. And the reason I had a small world is that my vision of God was small. And if your vision of, of God is small, you will have a small life. And I needed someone to give me keys to unlock myself from the presumed world in which I was trapped and so desperately wanted to flee. I needed someone to push me out of that presumed world and into the wide open country of salvation. For there in that large expansive geography of the kingdom, you will find a road that has no name, that is narrow, that will lead farther up and further into the high country of the Trinity where the air is thin. And from that vantage point, you see the immensity of a large God and all that he has made and loved. I needed help to see that. 
And I believe that that's what's happening here in this place. And so it's a great honor to be with you, to reflect together on such a God that has a large vision. The God that we read about in Psalm 103. The God that isn't small at all or has small concerns. Listen, close your eyes if necessary. Maybe you've never really listened, listened, listened to Psalm 103. And if not, hear it as if for the first time from the book we love, the bush that burns and is never consumed. The word of the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy and satisfies you with good as long as you live so that your youth might be renewed like the eagles. The Lord works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed. He made his ways known to Moses, his acts of the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. The Lord does not deal with us according to our sin, nor repay us according to our transgressions. As, far, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on all those who fear him, for he knows how we were made, and he remembers that we are dust, Yet for mortals, their days are like grass. They flourish like a flower in the field. The wind passes over them, and they are gone, and its place knows them no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from generation to generation, everlasting to everlasting, and his righteousness to his children's children, to all those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. So bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, obedient to his spoken word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Friends, the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. For Trigg, his four years at a Christian liberal arts college like this one helped take his faith from one that was focused on him and his salvation to seeing how it intersected with all the world. And that was similar for my undergraduate experience as well, and thankfully for all the years since. Most recently, my vision of God has been really deepened in beautiful ways through writing this book that Aaron mentioned. My co-author and I noticed a lot of Christians talking about justice, and we wanted to root that conversation in Scripture. So we spent five years looking at the story of Scripture from Genesis through Revelation. What does justice mean to God, and what does it mean for us, God's people? That experience was transformative. 
such a big picture of God and his love for us and for this world, and such a rich picture of his gracious call upon us to join him in seeking that. Through a reflection on Psalm 103, I wanted to invite you into some of what I've been learning these last few years. It's been a gift to reflect on this psalm, especially in these days after Easter, the season the Christian calendar calls Eastertide. The verses seem to capture the gift of salvation we have in Jesus Christ. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. That seems to capture so much of what happened in Christ through his death, resurrection, and ascension. Forgiveness of our sins, forgiveness of the mess we have made, forgiveness of the ways we have not loved God and one another. Healing of our diseases, redemption from the pit. So much of that is amazing news. It has been good for me, and if I'm honest, easy for me to reflect on the benefits to my soul of Christ's gifts. But writing a book on justice and the Bible makes you ask some different questions as you read scripture. So as I read a psalm like this, I'm also thinking, how is this good news for people who are suffering from injustice right now? I think of Bula. Bula lives in India. He came upon a, a difficult situation. He needed a little bit of money, so he took out an emergency loan. And what he didn't realize is the people who made the loan with him never wanted him to repay it. They wanted to use the loan to force him into a kind of slavery called labor slavery, modern-day form of slavery. He was taken 1,000 miles from his home to a brick-making facility. He worked 18 hours a day under the hot, grueling sun, endured vicious beatings, little food or rest. What does God's saving grace mean for Bula? Or I think of Kunthi and Chanda, 11 and 12-year-old girls in Cambodia, sold by their mothers into a brothel. They were beaten if they tried to go outside, beaten if they cried while men were having their way with them, injected with narcotics to blunt their tears and their resistance. How does God's work on the cross intersect with their lives? Look where David moves in today's psalm. We have these rich opening verses about forgiveness and redemption, and then he moves seamlessly to say, the Lord works vindication and justice for all the oppressed. In other translations, we read, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. For David, the move and the, the gift of God's redemption connected seamlessly to God's work on behalf of those who are suffering. Suffering not just from their sin, but suffering from actual unjust physical circumstances. At root, the layers of brokenness we encounter in this world, in our own lives, in our sin, and in the injustice that we see, all need to be overcome. They all go against God's original creation vision. They're all results of the fall. They all need to be set right. And that's where God's righteousness and justice are such good news. For you, for me, for Buli, and Kunta, and Chanda. The word that we read today for justice 
in Psalm 103 is the Hebrew word mishpat. This word comes into play when things have gone wrong with God's original creation vision of shalom, when some kind of restoration or reconciliation is needed. When something's not going according to God's intention, judicial intervention may be needed to set things right. So in its simplest form, mishpat or justice can be understood as setting things right. Now in the Old Testament, the word justice is often paired with the word righteousness. And biblical scholars tell us when they appear together, they refer to what we today would consider social justice. We see it in today's psalm, depending on your translation. It's throughout the psalms, throughout the Hebrew scriptures. Now today, at least in my mind, the word righteousness has negative connotations. I think of a self-righteous person who obeys the rules, maybe thinks they're a little better than others. I don't really think of someone as loving others. That is the opposite of the biblical notion of righteousness. The Hebrew word for righteousness has to do with relational faithfulness. God and creation and people loving each other rightly and being treated rightly. So a person in the Old Testament would have considered righteous if they rightly loved God, loved their spouse, loved their children, loved people with whom and for whom they worked. Everyone in the covenant community needed to be treated rightly for a person to be considered righteous. Ministry practitioner Amy Sherman talks about biblical righteousness as having up, in, and out dimensions. So up, as we live in dependence on God, as we glorify God, in, as the Holy Spirit transforms us and helps us to become more and more holy, more and more in keeping with who we are in Christ, and then all that should manifest itself in how we live outwardly, how we love others and seek what is right in this world. You can see how deeply relational biblical righteousness is. In Old Testament, judicial understandings of justice and righteousness were deeply relational. That's in contrast to most legal systems today. But biblical scholar Elizabeth Ochtemeyer lets us know that the Old Testament sense of justice went like this. That which is right in a legal sense is that which fulfills the demands of the community relationship. The sole function of the judge was to maintain the community, to restore right to those from whom it had been taken. Did you catch that? The role of the judge to maintain the community relationship and to restore right. Now think of Jesus, our judge. We learn that Jesus came to set things right, and Jesus, as our judge, is very good news, not scary news. It means that in and through Jesus Christ, the God of justice came to maintain, to restore the community relationship and to set everything right. In Christ, the judgment of God against anything that injures or distorts God, God's creation, God's people was condemned. Evil was condemned, judgment was passed, but in a shocking turn of events, the righteous judge became the one judged in our place. He bore the sin of punishment and death so that he could reconcile all things. In today's world, we don't usually appeal to God's judgment against unrighteousness. When we need encouragement or when we face injustice in the world, we don't tend to pray, God, judge, come. But that's what the people of the Old Testament did. Look at a prayer contained in another psalm. O Lord, you God of vengeance, you God of vengeance, shine forth 
Rise up, O judge of the earth. Give to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the stranger. They murder the orphan. And then they say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. The people of God understood that appealing to God to save meant appealing to God to restore and save them from their own sinfulness and to help overcome the injustices of the world. We read in Isaiah of our God, God is our righteous God and our Savior. God comes to judge and to save and to set all things right. And why does God do this saving and redeeming? Why does he redeem our lives from the pit and rescue the oppressed? The answer can also be found within Psalm 103. Because the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. To the original listeners of this psalm, they would have recognized this line right away. It runs like something of a refrain throughout the Old Testament. First in Exodus, then in Numbers, in Nehemiah, in Joel, Jonah, Nahum, multiple times in the Psalms. These words point to one of the most stunning gifts in the whole Bible, God's hesed love. This word hesed is so hard to translate. It captures these layers of God's love that no one English word can consistently capture at all. So sometimes it's translated mercy, sometimes loving kindness, sometimes steadfast love, sometimes everlasting love, as we sang today. God's everlasting love. One biblical scholar has translated it beautifully, God's love in action. God's love in action creating this world and creating us. God's love in action making a covenant with Israel and remaining faithful to his people generation after generation despite their sinfulness. God's love in action sending Christ into this world to make all things right. God's hesed love helps us understand why God seeks justice and righteousness. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. We read in Lamentation, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting in today's psalm. Now importantly, very importantly for us today, God's hesed is not just supposed to be something that's true of God. And the call to seek justice and righteousness is not just something God does. All three of these our callings God places upon us, his people. Think of Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The word mercy there is hesed. We are called to love and act in ways that reflect God's own love, God's own mercy, and God's own justice as we walk humbly with God. We see this in today's psalm as well. God redeems our life from the pit and crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. Notice the imagery here used to capture how amazing this redemption is. Down in the pit, redeemed from the pit, and then crowned with steadfast love and mercy. This is intentionally royal imagery. God has, is bestowing royal benefits on each of us. 
It's not just that we get out of the pit onto mere solid ground. It's not just that our bank account was full of sinful debt and it's all been canceled. That is true and so much more. We have been raised to new life in Christ. As Paul puts it in Romans, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life here and now in the kingdom, in the kingdom that Jesus inaugurated. When we're raised from the pit by the saving work of Jesus Christ, crowned with God's own steadfast love and mercy, so that we can share God's steadfast love and mercy with the world. By God's grace, we're to put the mercy we have received in Christ into action to seek first God's kingdom and righteousness, to use the words of Jesus. It was, where Christian, it was Christians responding to this call to seek first God's kingdom and righteousness who helped Bula find freedom from slavery. Redeemed from the pit, crowned with God's steadfast love and mercy, Christians working with International Justice Mission used their training in the law to seek freedom for others in light of the freedom they had received in Christ. Long, hard, painstaking work, many setbacks, but because of God's strength and perseverance, they rescued not only Bula, but 513 other slaves from that brick-making facility in a single day. And it was other Christians with training in social work and education and psychology who helped provide Bunti and Chanda aftercare after they were rescued from their brothel. These young girls were introduced to laughter and drawing and play and joy and hope. So in this Eastertide season, I hope you will join me in thanking God for the gift of redemption in Christ, that our sins are forgiven, that as high as the heavens are from the earth, so great is God's love for us. As far as the east is from the west, that's how much our sins have been forgiven. And in light of how we have been made right with God, I hope you will offer your lives to Christ, to share Christ's love and mercy with others. I hope you'll use your time here at Dort to learn about God's world through history and philosophy and novels and poetry. Learn about this world that God has made through psychology and biology and chemistry. Learn about all the intricate details of the human person and aspects of God's creation. Through community with one another and your relationships with RAs and your staff and your sports, Learn about what you love, where your gifts lie, and maybe what you're not quite so good at. And with all of that, we hope you'll go from here and offer your lives to God. For most of you, that will not mean moving to Cambodia or India. But right where you are, what does it mean to be crowned with steadfast love and mercy, to seek what is right for others in your community and in your kids' lives, in the schools, and in the neighborhoods, what does it look like to seek first God's kingdom and righteousness right where you are? Please join me in prayer. God, we are grateful for all that you have given us in Christ, for the expansiveness of your good news, that it saves us and it frees us to join you in your work in this world. We pray that you will bless each of us through time in studies and life, and that you will prepare us for the ways we might seek you and your kingdom.
In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you as you go in peace to love and serve the Lord.